0: think Jesus is? Perhaps you've never thought of that question. That's understandable. I mean, honestly, how often do we sit around talking about people who lived 200 years ago, much less someone who lived 2,000 years ago? I mean, think about it. He never ran a country. He never ran for political office. He never even wrote a book. He was just an ordinary carpenter, born in an obscure city to really not so noble parents. He was born. He lived. Well, presumably, he just died. Or maybe you've heard a few more things about Jesus. I mean, I mean, really, who hasn't heard about Jesus, right? Right. Perhaps you've heard that he was an admired Jewish teacher who taught his people how to follow God. Perhaps you've heard that he did some pretty amazing things. He he helped people who were sick and he helped the poor. But maybe that's all. Maybe that's all you've really come to know Jesus as. Or maybe you've spent some more time trying to figure out who is this Jesus? Perhaps you've read a book or listened to a teacher. Maybe you've even tried to open the Bible yourself and read it and, and try to figure out who is Jesus? All the more confused and frustrated As you attempt to answer the question, who is Jesus? Well friend, you've come to the right place if that's your question this morning. And as a Christian, that's my question this morning. Who is Jesus? Today we begin a study who I hope will help us answer that question. Who is Jesus? Because if we get that question wrong, well, friends, we might as well just go home. Because who Jesus is matters in your life. This morning, we are going to begin a a series of sermons through the Gospel of Mark. We'll take some breaks as we walk through this, but Lord willing, we will consider every verse in the 14 chapters of this Gospel over what may be a matter of time. The Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark, a companion of the Apostle Peter who traveled with Peter on his various missionary Adventures. And as we'll see later in, in a following sermon, perhaps John Mark was even an earlier follower of Jesus. John Mark wrote about the mid to late 60s, not, not Steve's 60s, 60s AD, right? <laughs> John Mark wrote from Rome. What was, in the midst of a rising persecution of the church, fitting, is it not? So let's consider together Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's some pew Bibles there. I invite you to take that home with you if you don't have a Bible of your own. Invite you to read it throughout the week. Open God's Word to Mark chapter 1. And you do not need to stand during this time. Okay? So don't feel you need to stand. I'm just going to read Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. The point of this passage that we've read this morning, and what I hope to be the point of this sermon, is that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. The Christ who will deliver God's people from the reign of sin. John the baptizer prepared Jesus' way, calling sinners to repentance and pointing them To faith in Jesus, the Son of God. And Mark's primary focus in our time this morning is to answer that question, Who is Jesus? So if we were just to sort of consider the Gospel of Mark, like any ordinary book, the first 13 verses is like the prologue, the introduction to what is going to be talked about in the rest of the narrative. Okay? So so Mark sets the stage, if you will, for what is to come. Well, what, what Mark hopes to use the Gospel narrative of the life of Jesus is to answer that question for you. Who is Jesus? And then leaves you with this question. Will I follow Him? Who is Jesus? Will I follow Him? Will I follow Him wherever He leads? So His focus this morning is to tell us three things about Jesus' identity. Three things I hope you see this morning in this passage. First, Jesus is the Son of God. Secondly, Jesus is the divine Lord, and thirdly, Jesus is the long-awaited Savior. Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the divine Lord, and Jesus is the long-awaited Savior. John opens, excuse me, Mark opens this gospel narrative by telling us a few things about what he's going to write about. First, he tells us in the very first verse, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tells us, this is a book about Jesus. This is a book about Jesus. Friends, I've been a Christian long enough to know that when we read narrative passages in the Bible, what we often do is get distracted with the characters of the story rather than the God whom the stories are about. I want to remind us all this morning that every story, every event, every word that we encounter in this Gospel is about one and only one, Jesus of Nazareth. This is what the story is about. This is who Mark is writing about. But this isn't a book merely about a historical Jesus. A Jesus who you know, lived way back when. But this is a story, Mark tells us, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He tells us that this book is a book about good news. That's what Gospel means. If you had an NIV this morning, or a New Living, they'll say, the, the good news. Which is it? Is it the Gospel or is it the good news? Well, it's the same thing. The Gospel is, is the good news concerning man. God's plan of saving sinners. That's good news this morning. This book is a book about Jesus. This is a book about about good news. But most importantly, this is a book that reveals Jesus as the Son of God. This is a book where Mark's primary task is to show you who Jesus is. Let's look for a moment. Walk with me through Mark just for a moment. Bear with me as we do this. Turn over to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus encounters an unclean spirit, and whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down and worshiped him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Mark uses demons to prove who Jesus is. Fast forward a little bit to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. I've skipped a lot. We've really fast-forwarded the, the film. Verse 32 of chapter 13. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. This is Jesus speaking. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The demons knew he was the Son of God, and Jesus knew he was the Son of God. Let's look at one last one in Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, verse 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that Jesus had breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was a son of God, or was the son of God. Even Gentile sinners, who were outside the promises of God, or so they thought, confessed Jesus as the son of God. Jesus is the one who has a unique and unparalleled relationship with God the Father. His relationship with the Father is vastly different than anyone had seen before. Jesus wasn't just merely a man who lived and died. But He was the Son of God. The Divine Son. The Second Person of the Trinity. Who was sent by the Father to purchase sinners. Jesus was the preeminent. He is the preeminent and the preexistent Son of God. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we learn from the Apostle Paul that that Jesus is preeminent. That Jesus has always been. That Jesus is God. He says to us in Philippians chapter two and verse six, "Jesus Christ, who though He was in the form of God." Though he was God, he did not count an equality with God something to be grasped, but emptying himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in, in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He is the preexistent one. He's the preeminent one. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Oftentimes people ask me, have you what God looks like? Bible says, look to Jesus and you've seen God. He's the image of the invisible God The firstborn of all creation For by Him all things were created In heaven and on earth Visible and invisible Whether thrones or dominions Or rulers or authorities All things were created through Him and for Him All things, Paul said Not just some things All things were created by Jesus He is the pre-existent One He is the preeminent one. He has supreme authority over all things. And the question that Mark leaves you with this morning is, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that? If Jesus is the Son of God, that He has unique authority over your life. He has unique authority over our lives together. And if Jesus is the Son of God, then He deserves our worship and our total obedience. Jesus, the Son of God. Joe Thorne in his book, The Trinity, writes, Jesus is our God who gave us law and saved us from our law-breaking so that we might become His law-keeping people. Jesus is our God. And friends, it's often easy to forget that. It's often easy to become distracted with, with all of the activity of church and forget that we worship Jesus this morning. When we gather together, we gather together under the particular authority of Jesus, the Son of God. We gather to worship the Son. and This reality that Jesus is the Son of God gives rise to everything that we do. Every activity we are involved in as a church or as individuals is informed by the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Everything we do takes its cue from that. For it is through Jesus that we know God. And it is this truth that we must defend to the end. We are not allowed by God to take this glorious truth that Jesus is the Son of God and to allow it to be tarnished with foolish airs of others. Calvin once said, a dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. Friends, we must not be confused about who Jesus is. Because if we mess up on who Jesus is, well friends, everything else falls apart. Amen. Who Jesus is matters. Who Jesus is He's the Son of God. But Mark tells us that Jesus is also the divine Lord. Look with me in verse two. Just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Friends, the Bible is more than a collection of 66 independently written books that were compiled together for religious people. The Bible is so much more than that. The Bible is a story. It's a story that has God as the central figure. It's a story about God and His redemptive purposes to redeem a people for himself, to purchase people for himself. It's a story about a Creator who created. It's about a Creator who created a people who were to live in fellowship with Him and to enjoy His rule in their life. He created them, Adam and Eve, perfect and holy. But you see, Adam and Eve didn't want to do what God wanted them to do. They didn't want to live life the way God wanted them to live it. So they rebelled. They lived life their own way. Friends, that's what the Bible calls sin. When we decide to live life our way, contrary to God's way. But it was in the midst of their rebellious sin that God offers a word of promise in Genesis 3.15. He promised that there would be a descendant of Eve who would come and crush the head of Satan. He promised in the midst of their sinful rebellion to rescue them from their sin. And brothers and sisters, we see this morning that the One who would come to be the warrior king who would destroy sin and death, Mark points to and says, Jesus is Him. Jesus is the One. Friends, the Bible doesn't, the promises of God in the Bible don't end in the Old Testament and begin new in the New Testament. God doesn't just finish what He was doing in the Old and says, well, that didn't, didn't work out for me, so let's start something new. Right? That's not what He does. He is purpose from the very beginning. Paul tells us from the foundation of the world, before he even created the world. He purposed to send his son to die. God keeps his promises in the Lord Jesus. That's what Mark's saying. That's what Mark that's why Mark is quoting Old Testament prophets here. That's why he's quoting Moses, the first prophet. That's why he's quoting Isaiah the great prophet. That's why he's Quoting Malachi here, he covers it all from Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis to Malachi. Excuse me, he covers it all. He says all of them point to Jesus. God doesn't just send a messenger in John, but He sends His own Son in Jesus. Oftentimes, when we read this prophecy, uh, we, we immediately think it's about John. This is this is a prophet. Let's go, yeah, John, that's him. John fulfills that. John the Baptist, he he's the one who's gonna prepare Jesus' way. That's what we do. That's why we read it. Let's look at it again. Verse two, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet Behold, I God, send my messenger, John, before who? Your face, Jesus. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare whose way? The Lord's way. I believe Mark is trying to say something very important: that the Lord of the Old Testament is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. Did you see that? Prepare the Lord. A passage that most clearly in Isaiah chapter forty refers to God. Mark is saying, is Jesus. Jesus is God. It is so clear before our eyes. Mark's point is clear. Jesus is the Lord who will rescue us from sin. He is the one who will transform our lives. Who Jesus is shapes how we live. That's what Mark's point is here. Who He is Changes us. It shapes us. It molds us. Either we reject Him, or we go all in with Him. What you conclude about Jesus shapes how you live your life. And we could say that in reverse. How you live your life tells me what you think about Jesus. How we choose to live our lives tells the world what we think about Jesus. If you have a low view of Jesus, well, friend, it's going to reflect in a low view of His instructions, is it not? We don't follow people we don't trust. We don't just follow just anybody that comes down our path. We follow people who are leaders and who lead us and who we accept and who we admonish and who we say are leaders. That's who we follow. And if we believe that Jesus is Lord, well, friend, we'll follow Him wherever He goes. If we truly believe that Jesus is Lord, We'll go where the Lord goes. Jesus as Lord changes everything. It changes my priorities. It changes my perspectives. It changes my purposes in life. Jesus as Lord shapes my existence. He shapes who I am. He gives purpose to my life. He he gives hope to my life. Friend, in the battles you face in life, You have a King who will lead you to victory. That's why it matters that Jesus is Lord. That's why Mark spends just a few moments here showing us who Jesus is. So he's going to unfold for us through all of this narrative is to show us that Jesus is Lord over unclean spirits. That Jesus is Lord over nature. That Jesus has authority to teach. That Jesus has authority over your life. Friend, I wonder, will you follow him wherever he leads? Yes. This is the question the disciples are faced with and confronted by. Will you go wherever he leads? Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God, the Divine Lord. And thirdly, he is the long-awaited Savior. Look with me at these final verses, verses 4-8. through eight. Like the prophets of old, John the Baptist points us to Jesus. The point of John's ministry was to point people to Jesus. That's what he's doing. John isn't, you know, kinda, kinda like an entrepreneurial, if you will, an upstart business here where he's getting things rolling. He's got a new ministry that he wants to offer the people there in Jerusalem. Rather, John is calling sinners to repentance, pointing them to King Jesus he 's like the the welcoming party friends if you have like had your TV on at all right we the TV is flooded the news is flooded with what preparation right the Pope is coming right this country I mean all types of preparation is being made for a man to come well friends friends oh friends oh friends, an obscure weirdo uh, dressed in camel's hair and a leather belt who ate wild honey and locusts was crying out like a crazy man and saying, the king of the universe is coming. Are you ready? His powerful ministry was pointing others to Jesus. How? How did John point others to Jesus? How does he point us to Jesus? We see that He called sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. He didn't call people to be followers of John. He didn't call people to worship Him as a great teacher. He didn't wear impressive clothes and try to be a show-off. He called sinners to faith in Jesus in the promise that the Messiah was going to come. John's ministry prepared the people for the king's arrival. That's what he's doing. He's preparing the people for their king. For our king. Yep. He pointed them to the one who was to come. The one who was greater than him. His message was, in essence, get ready. Yep. The king is coming. Yep. Get ready. The king is coming. He'll be here any day. Get ready. Friends, his baptism didn't save them any more than ours does. It was a sign of their repentance and faith in Christ. By fulfilling God's promises as a forerunner to Christ, John pointed others to Christ. John fulfilled prophecies of Old Testament that were promised hundreds of years before he came on the scene. Why was he wearing these weird clothes? You read that and you wonder, well, why does Mark put that in there? You know, you'll find with Mark, Mark is a guy who uh, is limited in detail, right? If you've read Mark's gospel and you read like perhaps Matthew or Luke, you begin to see, wow, seems like Mark left a lot of things out. Like why? Well, when you think about that and then you consider the details he did put into the story, you kind of wonder, well, for a guy who's kind of wanting to not put much detail into the story, why does he put that in there? Why, why would he, I mean, who cares what John was wearing? Well, friends, just like you know, when someone wears a coonskin little hat, you think of Daniel Boone. Or, or, or someone wears a, a stovetop hat, you think of Abraham Lincoln, right? You, you mean, that's, that's what we, well, when someone saw someone, Dressed like John was dressing, immediately in their minds, they thought of Elijah. Immediately in their minds, when they saw John the Baptist in his outfit, there's no other image that would have been conjured in their mind but 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse 8. And Elijah came dressed with a leather belt around his waist. And Malachi 4 5, Malachi promises. And prophesies that before the Lord's coming, there would be one, a prophet who would come in the spirit of Elijah. And we'll see in Mark chapter 9 that Mark makes that connection clear to us. But here in this passage, he is just sort of hinting at the fact that Jesus, that Jesus is that long awaited Christ who is to come. Mark tells us that all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to hear John to be baptized in the river Jordan. All the country, all Judea were going out to them. John was an impressive guy. John was attracting this, this mass following of people who were turning from their sins and trusting in the, the promised Savior. And he was calling these sinners... And however great John was, Mark's point is clear. There is still one greater to come. His emphasis is on the difference between their ministries. While John points to another, Jesus doesn't. While John says, it's not me, it's that guy, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says it's all about me. Jesus is the completion of all the promises of the Old Testament. In the coming of Jesus, it started the end of the world. In the coming of Christ, all the promises in the Old Testament began to be filled. John may be the greatest of all the prophets, as Jesus said, but Jesus is still greater. John was the greatest. But Jesus is still greater. And the kingdom of God has been inaugurated in the coming of a king. And friends, this world offers us a lot of hope. It holds out things to us every day of our lives to put our hope in. Perhaps more money. Perhaps better health. Perhaps better leaders. That's what we need. Perhaps better foreign policies, better schools, a stronger military. Maybe what we need is more freedoms or more choices. Friends, our world gives us hope. But that hope doesn't last. It gives us hope in fleeting things. But Jesus gives us hope in the true things. Jesus gives us hope in a restored relationship with God. God has restored in Christ what was once in the Garden of Eden. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. The Divine Lord. The long-awaited Savior. Is this Jesus that Mark reveals the one whom you have come to love and follow? Is Jesus the one whom you would submit your life to? Is Jesus Christ the Son of God to you? Does your life reflect that? Does your active worship and obedience of Christ reflect who He is? Oh friends, if we encounter Jesus, And remain unchanged, we of all people are most to be pitied. I conclude with these words from John Calvin. Our assurance, our glory, and the sole anchor of our salvation are that Jesus is the Son of God. And He is ours. And we, in turn, are. His sons and heirs of the kingdom of heaven, called to the hope of eternal blessedness by God's grace, not by our own worth. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, Father, we are weak and feeble. We are ignorant of your divine and truth. Father, we live lives often in neglect of these great and grand truths that you are the supreme ruler of the universe. No, Father, we need to confess our lives of sin and rebellion. For we claim to know Christ but we live our lives in ways that are so contrary to that Father we confess that often we we walk in coldness to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God we often forget that Jesus is the, the Lord of creation that He is supreme over all oh Father we often neglect and consider the great salvation that is in Christ that, that you've You don't fail us. You don't give up on us. You don't quit on us. That all of Your promises find their yes and amen in Christ. No, Father, we cling to these promises today. Change us, O Lord, that we might order our lives around this truth, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. We pray this for Your glory and our eternal good. In Christ. Amen. amen. Let's stand as we conclude our service together with this final hymn, Jesus Paid It All. Hymn number 134, Jesus Paid It All. As we consider the Son of God, the Sovereign Lord, came to be our Savior.